Nightcaps of the Living Dead. I'm a barbarian girl. Hello, it's season four, and it's Halloween. Yes, welcome to our season premiere in 2023. And we are together it, yes. in real life, in real life. <laughs> For the first time, um, we are in person, live from Palm Springs and in it's quite, California. Yes, it's quite fitting because we are at an Airbnb. Yes. And we're about to discuss the ultimate scariest Airbnb movie of all time. Barbarian. And this this Airbnb happens to be owned by me. Yes. <laughs> I am a host. <laughs> but there are no tunnels in Palm Springs. <laughs> Thank God. I am a super host, so you will not get murdered. I mean, we're So, sorry. yeah, let's talk about Barbarian. So, this movie is terrifying. I feel like you and I, we discuss movies that are nostalgic and fun and, like, really well done. This is well done, but terrifying i jumped so many times the first time i saw it and then the second time yes scary i I agree i was the second the rewatch was actually scary maybe because you were anticipating (gasps) yes i was i don't know it was like really and especially that first act oh my god fucking crazy yeah Um, brilliant so we're gonna talk about Barbarian and listeners, our awesome listeners, thanks for hanging in while we took this very long hiatus. G is back where he belongs in LA. Yes. So, <laughs> so I have moved yet again. Santa Clara is no longer. Hello, California State University, Northridge. So I got another <laughs> new job in the, in the He past collects year. them like <laughs> Leatherface collects bodies. I mean <laughs> And that's the reason why we can be in person. So we now live in Los Angeles and Palm Springs. Yeah. Um and so yes, from now on we will be in person. So this is gonna be a new thing. This, this is season. awesome. This is very cool. We are gonna talk about Barbarian, discuss it, but at the end Please stick around because we have a new segment called Screamers and Streamers. We are going to discuss something that we saw in the movie theater that we might have liked or we might have hated and don't waste your time. Or if you're just kicking around your apartment or house and you're seeing something on Amazon or Peacock, HBO Max, we're going to we're going to steer you in the right direction of what to bench. Yes, because there's a lot of horror series nowadays, which is really exciting. We are living in a new era of horror. Yeah, we're living. It's a time to be alive for horror. Not quite 84 horror yet, but we're getting there. We're in a... Hey, the the times are darkening. (laughs) (laughs) And so is our horror movie. So on that optimistic note, (laughs) so this movie is directed by Zach Kreger, who... Oh, my God. He smashed this movie, wrote and directed it. He is famously from The Whitest Kids You Know, a hilarious sketch troupe. That's right. They're great. Oh, yes. They're awesome. And um, he and Trevor Moore, RIP, they both directed. This is not Zach's directorial debut. They both directed a movie that I got cut out of <gasps> called Miss March. <laughs> really? What? My entire career of being a one-liner and getting cut. And that I, is yeah. wild. Yeah, and they're sweetie sweets. They Well, Trevor, get this, he, he died. A year ago, and it was a kind of like a freak accident. He fell off of oh, his house, wow. or something happened where he had like a blunt trauma I thing did to the not head. Know this. Yeah, and it was so it was sad. really devastating because he was hilarious and this really nice guy, but in true just 
goat fashion, he said, it was like pretty close to his death a few months before, he said that he wanted everybody to refer to him in his obituary as local sex spot. <gasps> Which they did. And and I, they did. That's they honored legendary. That. Okay, that's Very awesome. cool. Um, so, anyways, I read a few interviews with Zach, and he said that it was somebody else's like script, really, somebody else's idea for Miss March. They co-directed the studio. It has you and I have been talking about lately mm-hmm. the studio. We will talk about that later in this podcast. Studio interference, yeah. a horror in its own right. <laughs> that is true. Stay tuned. <laughs> They uh, they interfered too much with Miss March, kind of broke his heart, and he was just fighting the system, and he didn't really want to direct for a while. This movie is not traditionally structured, which makes it fascinating and interesting, and this is why it took forever for this movie to get made. Because he had that horrible experience with Miss March, um, he was very staunch in his views of how this movie should be made. Interesting. So He said he was a point of contention. He told The Hollywood Reporter that... He kept hearing the same stuff. You can't just uh, introduce a character on page 50. But yes. You can't. And, and then, he told them, Alfred Hitchcock did it in 1960, motherfuckers. Boom. <laughs> and, and we still talk about that movie. Yeah, it was, you know, <laughs> revolutionary. And then also, um, it's also a point of contention for studio execs to see flashbacks in the third act. They're like, what? And personally, I love that, a good I flashback. I, I do, too. I thought too. that was so great. I think it's and, great. We'll get to it, but, like, I thought... those two jarring cuts the cut to the second act Mm -hmm. or is it the second act we'll talk about that (laughs) Um, and then the cut to the flashback which are so jarring in the movie and a different kind of form of storytelling yeah um, Gives you a second incredible. to catch your breath. You're, you're, you're just disoriented. You're like, where are we now? This is a and new it's world. it's like, it's, because it takes you, I remember when I watched it, by the way, interesting tidbit, I didn't know this movie existed until it was number one at the box office for like two or three weeks. Oh, wow. Which I think, two weeks, I think. You weren't up on it. No. And then it was like, wait a minute, what is this movie that's costing all this hoo-ha yeah. that everyone's talking about? It's a horror movie and I usually know what's I up. anticipate the horror movies that are coming out. There was a buzz at um, Toronto Film Festival. People were like, have you seen this yet? Have you seen this yet? And then doing some research for this episode, I saw that it premiered at Comic-Con, which is wild to me and also what? fucking awesome. Yeah, that's San Diego crazy. Comic-Con. Where I didn't even know movies premiere there. I thought it was always like promoting Same. movies. That's cool. Yeah. That's really, really cool. And oh, fits. and that started the buzz. Ah, <laughs> that, it was, they saved money on the marketing and started that word of mouth. Oh, I, love an, I love a good word of mouth Same. success story. Yeah. This is one of them people. And I just love he had this whole Sylvester Stallone, Rocky adventure of I wrote, directed this. I stand by my work. This and is he, how I want it done. He appears in the movie, which we'll talk yeah. about too. <laughs> so the right hands got a hold of this movie, and Zach was able to make it, and even it has a phenomenal success. It's critically adored. Horror fans love it. Um, it was a smash hit. Do you know the figures by any chance? I don't know the figures, but I know it was number one for two weeks. So yeah, and um, and much like Barbie. <laughs> There's yes. a tie-in here. There is a tie-in. <laughs> Much like Barbie, both directors, both Greta Gerwig and Zach, they're like, okay, sequel, baby. They ain't interested. That's right. They're not. And one, Greta came up in my book for so many reasons for Barbie. But she's like, yeah, I told the story I wanted to tell. It was awesome. Made money. Made an impact on the film industry. But I'm good. I'm Somebody else can direct it. And then for Zach, they said, okay, this was hugely successful. You stuck to your guns. You're a filmmaker, heroic story. Um, do you want to make a sequel? And he's like, if anything, I would probably do a prequel. 
but he's not really interested in telling that story because he says that oh, most of the characters of the are horrible. Killer? Yeah. yeah. He's like, fuck Frank. I don't want to know why Frank is going yeah. and abducting these women and telling his POV. I don't want to know about that guy. So I really admire those directors for kind of walking away from the party while it's hot. That's true. I mean, I, I don't think they're doing it. I think it's a nope, one and done. I think it's one and one done. One and done. But hey, Psycho 2 came out in the 80s. So 20 <laughs> years later, so who knows? <laughs> Barbarian 2, Electric Boogaloo. That's an excellent point. We just cheers. Um, okay, so do you have anything else? Because I'll just go into let's, the let's Airbnb right genre. In. So um, the first thing I want to say as I rewatch this, because I've seen it in the movie theaters when it came out. Stop rubbing that, your leg. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, You're like, come you... on, children. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> Get a little Frank here. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the first thing I noticed in the rewatch that I didn't notice, weirdly enough, which is one of the main things that people bring up about this movie, is that this is very much a remake of Psycho. Not just because of the, of the switch around. Of the main the character minute, being killed off. Yeah, the main character being killed off around 45, 50 minutes into the movie. But the whole thing is a remake. It's like a really clever mm-hmm. Mike Flanagan-esque mm. remake where you're taking the themes and the ideas from Psycho and like making them new. Like kind of what Mike Flanagan did with like Haunting of Hill House mm-hmm. and Haunting of Bly Manor and now The Fall of the House of Usher. Mm-hmm. So I noticed more connections to Psycho than just, than just the structure. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I'll be talking about that as we go through it, but it's like it's you know it's a movie about mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mother is actually real this oh. time. She's not dead in the basement. <laughs> She's actually alive in the basement. Yes. So much like the haunted house and isolated cabin genres, mm-hmm. we have the rise of the rental horror story because, and I think that this is so particularly scary. It's because one, it's something we can all relate to, and two. The stakes are so high, all bets are off because you are voluntarily entering somebody else's property. You are responsible for what the fuck is about to happen. Exactly. So, yeah, there's a little bit of anxiety with that. Um, But, yeah, it's a huge successful genre right now um, because we're, like, in that hustle share culture that I'm a part of. I love it. I I love Airbnb and VRBO and all this stuff. And also, and and there's so many great movies like um, Host, Superhost, you should have left. Remember mm-hmm. the Kevin Bacon one? Yes. That was kind of fun. Uh, the rental. Um, so, yeah, there's this whole slew of new Airbnb horror stories that are coming out. And they're all different mm-hmm. with how specifically scary they are. <laughs> <laughs> like whether it's hidden cameras or, you know, somebody lurking and watching you in the wall. It's, it's the same trope, but updated, rebooted. Yeah. And in many ways, that's why Psycho is the perfect kind of blueprint for this because it's a motel motel story good yeah and one of the very first things i noticed at the beginning so this takes place in detroit and of course one of the first i love detroit detroit Detroit. and it's very much a detroit story like and so the first kind of scary or creepy moment that we get in the movies when our main character walks to get the keys mm-hmm. and looks, turns around and looks at the abandoned and dark neighborhood around her and this is this I, one little house. I had that exact moment on this rewatch. The first time I did not because I was so unsteady with our heroine, with Tess, when she pulls up, gets to the, you know, the creepy house in the bad neighborhood 
Um, I didn't notice that the first time. I was just too uneasy. This time, the shots. That shot. And then it's like starting to rain and you see yeah. this darkness of empty, just abandoned black, houses. Abandoned shacks. And, and this one really, lit. In this one lit, beautifully remodeled house yeah. that's out of place. Yes. And so... In many ways, you know, has, you know the history of Detroit. It had after the auto industry. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's like New Orleans. The government does not care about Detroit. Detroit was once like it was the powerhouse of our country at one point with like the factories and and now like the water situation and like yeah. Detroit's forgotten about. And same with New Orleans. Same like Puerto Rico. It's it's these little. Um, these little nuggets, these beautiful neighborhoods that have so much culture and history, and they're just, they're just decimated. decimated. It's like Berlin after the war, yeah. and, and like Berlin, the movie tackles also the kind of cool revival of artists who move there and create these enclaves, and right. because it's cheap rent and cheap, you can buy a house like a hundred thousand dollars, I believe. What's the cool hip uh, um, area in Puerto Rico? I know, like uh, as a result of the flooding in New Orleans, Bywater is a really cool hip artisty. Not gentrified, but just artisty neighborhood. Santurce, which is kind okay. of scary, but it's just my, well, actually where you stayed, where oh. my sister used to. Oh live. yeah, yeah, that's yes. good. that is a very cool. So that's kind of like a rundown Candyman neighborhood, but then it has having a that's where all <laughs> the artists, the cool. queer people, that's where all the gay bars are, nice and stuff like that. That's where all the fun, uh, dirt and down and dirty uh, dive bars are and well, stuff. Whatever, so. um, whenever Jack and I visited Travis, friend of the podcast, Trav, um, we visited him and there were all these cool art installations, like neighborhoods having outside in the snow kind of uh, sculptures and found object art. Oh, that's and really cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw Detroit, like, it, it just has so much history and it's artistic. It just, it feels like, mm, it, it, it's such a cool city. So anyways, seeing it so... Ugh, terrifying in this movie you immediately got it you're like this is this, this is, is a ruined ghost, neighborhood it's a ghost town of a, Skeleton. Of a time that was yeah. and so immediately I was like oh this is very interesting because this is the first thing that it draws from Psycho so the whole thing about the motel the base motel in Psycho mm-hmm. is that no one goes to it anymore because they build a new freeway or an overpass to the freeway oh. and so nobody stops and Norman Bates mentions this to Marion when they meet it's like nobody comes here anymore. Our main character, Tess, it very much arrives, like Marion, in the middle of the rain mm-hmm. to get lodging in the middle of the night. Um, and, of course, someone's there already. Which already right? might help. One, I don't want to stay in an Airbnb that has another, like, shared anything, you know? <laughs> Back in the day, they're like, oh, do you want a shared property? Some guy's going to be in this room and you'll be in this room. I'm like, no, I want no, the entire so property. Scary. Yeah, no. I don't know this person. No, I want my own thing. I want my privacy. So she shows up. I mean, she's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. This could be a rom-com. Yeah, which it kind of plays with a little bit. <laughs> a little right? bit, I yeah. love, and again, the, the casting of Bill Skarsgård is brilliant. Brilliant. Because he people was... know him from Pennywise in mm-hmm. the new It movies. So we already so don't trust him. We like, already... Mm, it's sinister. Just through the casting, even though he's playing it really real and really cool, it's like, he's eerie. Yeah. And here's another, my second connection to Psycho. He is Norman Bates. He, his performance has a little bit of Anthony Perkins in it. So these um, scenes between Bill Skarsgård, Little Pennywise... Little Penny. And um, Tess, our heroine are very much reminiscent of the conversations that Marion and Norman have in the back, in that kind of back area behind the reception Oh, how so? Like, what do they talk about? Well, in, in Psycho, they sit down and, you know, they, she asks 
he asks her a question about what she's doing there, and she doesn't really tell him that she's stolen the money. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it kind of leads to her decision to going back. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, they have this connection through the fact that, they, you know, he runs, like, one of these artists and clips. Yeah. And then she's going to be working for... Like a documentarian. A documentarian. So they're kind of bonding over so that. They're bonding I totally forgot some- about that in Psycho, because I, I, you just remember the, the major plot points and the jarring things. I'm like, oh, yeah, they had those little human moments, and she's yes. all shady and... She's super shady. Yeah. She stole this money. They're both she's shady. kind of like a... <laughs> and then she's also um, coming from... She has an affair with a married man. That's the beginning yeah. first scene. She's and just in, riddled with, with moral corruption. <laughs> yes. And then in this one, Tess talks about her relationship to men or her ex. They yeah, and Marcus keeps whole, calling her. We're like, who the yeah, fuck Marcus is calling is her? her? Yeah. And so they... And that never gets resolved, which is amazing. I know. But then it, it leads to that conversation where he gives her advice. Which, about, honestly, I'm, I'm glad that Marcus is her ex because in this movie, she ends up missing for two weeks and he does not show up. No. Uh-uh. Good, good job, girl. Get rid of Marcus. Get rid of Marcus. Uh. Marcus sucks. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's this these conversations that I have first with the wine, and she's of course there's a sense it's all about trust, right? That she do you trust this stranger? Speaking of wine, I'm just gonna talk. Yeah, this let's off. refill. We're like Tess and Little Penny having our wine <laughs> with the bow that was left of the Airbnb. We're in a, we are in an Airbnb. We're in our own Airbnb. Um, Airbnb, baby. So these initial scenes are about trust, right? So the whole thing is like, is Tess gonna trust this? hot yet mysteriously creepy maybe mm-hmm. or too coincidentally connected to what I do <laughs> True. Uh, person and so there's these moments of like oh you didn't drink the tea but then he like opens the wine in front of her and then the sheets thing he does thing. everything right yes he's a good guy but we have already cast doubt on this character and it, for me this rewatch was all about we are judging these characters and we are very strong in these convictions. So between Tess, we're like, okay, she's a final girl. We're immediately on her side. And because she makes smart decisions, she's like, I ain't drinking a tea. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to have this wine, but reluctantly, I'm taking a picture of your driver's license. Show me the reservation that it's overlapped, which also for semantics, I'm like, you can't double book on an Airbnb. But if you have something on VRBO, and you're running your house on that and that, then it's, it's probable. So I'm like, cool, good job, so Zach I think Carter. he was doing it in Home Away. Is it Home Away oh, yeah, became Home Away. BRBO? Oh. I think Home Away was bought by BRBO. Like, they merged it or something. I'm not sure. Um, but yes, this is... It's, at, at, at any it rate, all makes sense. I love that they actually use the real um, company names, like Airbnb and HomeAway. And I know that Turnkey is another one. I don't know if that's still around. We have the RBO. And I just love that they didnn't make it, you know, just like a... Fair B&B or, or House Away. Like, I like that they use the legit names. I wonder if Airbnb oh, yeah, signed off like, on them. They have to get Doesn't make them look good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of Airbnb, but oh, interesting. So during this rewatch, it was very apparent to me how strongly I judged these characters. Mm-hmm. Like, you pick a pony early on. Yes. And and Zach, as a writer and a director, like, he directed Little Pennywise so beautifully because... He does nothing wrong. Little Scar Scar does nothing wrong. He's just very forthright with her. He's polite. She's doing everything to cover her ass. She is a woman. She knows the stakes. She knows the dangers that can lurk around the corner for a woman staying alone in a bad area of Detroit. Um, so anyways, they're flirtatious a little bit after, you know, he kind of gains her trust a little bit. But still, the entire time, even though he's done nothing wrong, I'm like, mm-mm, girl. 
nope, don't trust don't him. Trust this Maybe person, he owns yeah. this house. Maybe she, he's like gonna he he's using this as a ruse to fucking murder girls. That's his story. I just didn't trust him, even though the character and the direction gave me no reason to believe that. So it's our it's pointing it to the audience mm-hmm. and our perception and our judgments mm-hmm. to what a situation like this would be like. And they even discussed that, right? They were like, if I was the person yeah. who was here first and you came in, I would never let you in. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So I love that they bring that that reverse scenario. And I wonder, um, like, this girl must not have money because I would like book it to the holiday, the hotel motel holiday inn. I would like be like, No, I'm not staying with a random person and fuck Airbnb for, you know. Oh, but then they have the whole convention thing. Oh, yeah. They're a, like, there's a, a convention. Train. There's no there's place. There's a convention. Like, Nobody can stay anywhere. Yeah, so that I'm was... Like, okay, fine. Sure. <laughs> um, but then you talked about romantic comedy. So then as this kind of game of trust goes down, it's like, okay, we trust him a little bit, maybe. Which okay. I started trusting him when he gave her the Wi-Fi. Like, he volunteered the Wi-Fi. You had to ask me for my Wi-Fi. Like, <laughs> that's such a forthcoming, nice, polite thing. Like, here's the Wi-Fi. <laughs> And then, you know, they do the sheets and they have that cute moment where he's like showing her and I do the duvet cover. Okay. The duvet cover is such a <laughs> moment because I feel like everybody was disarmed in the audience that saw this the first time. And I even watched it closely the second time. I'm like, how do you do this? It's, a, it's murder putting a duvet into a duvet <laughs> cover. I hate it. Slides it's around. The worst. It's horrible. And I hate folding fitted sheets. So, Scarsguard, if you got some more pointers, start a YouTube channel. Like, I'll, yes. I'll watch, I'll subscribe. <laughs> And so they go to bed, right? And she like wakes up in the middle of the night. And he has he's having his like nightmares. Oh, he is deep <laughs> in it, having some night terrors. And yes. then the door is open. Trust it gets pulled back again in that night sequence, right? And then she wakes him up, and so mm-hmm. it's like a back and forth. And there's a lot of tension around trusting the white guy. And this is like mm. you know, Carscar guy is a tall, overpowering but beautiful white guy. <laughs> We love Bill. We love Bill. But he's, he could be terrifying. I feel like he could be his agent, just pitching as that. Bill okay. Skarsgård is the known famous person in this movie. Mm-hmm. Right? He is the Janet Lee, not her. We don't know who the hell she is. Mm, right? That's true. So here's the interesting part. Instead of killing Marion in the first 45 minutes or 50 minutes, they kill Norman. Mm. And that's already kind of taking it away from the structure of Psycho. In this movie, Marion gets to live throughout the whole movie. True. So this is Psycho, where Janet Lee does not die at the shower. Mm. Norman does. Hmm. And then she's contending with They mother. mix and match the characters. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And so they flip that narrative. So then, of course, the, those first, like, 45, 15 minutes are a movie into their own, right? Right. right. It's, 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 and, and the first act feels very long, setting mm-hmm. up a world in its own, and then it pulls the rug out from under you. It's like, this. it's such a setup, but it's also, you're involved. We have our guard up, again, after him having the night terrors. And so she leaves for this documentarian interview thing, and they do, I didn't get this the first time around, they do this ominous kind of camera swerve mood to the lockbox. Uh-huh. And I thought that was such an interesting, they're like, this, without being so blatant to the audience, they're like, this is going to be a key, no pun intended, a key. <laughs> a key element, <laughs> element in this narrative. And then we get the contrast of that opening shot of the darkness of the neighborhood. It's now this mess in the cold light of day. We see in the stark daylight how horrible and Ugly. All the houses this are neighborhood falling apart. Is. They're dilapidated. There are, half of them are burned yeah. down, and so we see it in daylight, shining style. 
So we get we had revealed the horror of what the neighborhood really is in this daylight yeah. setting. So we don't feel safe right? in the house or right immediately outside of the house. Yes. This is no man's land. And even when she goes for this job interview, I kind of like phased out the job interview. I was like, this is not an important element of the story. But um, the documentarian lady was just like, oh, girl, where are you staying? Like, what? And then she comes back to the house. And then that's when she gets. Oh, like, she gets locked chased. in the basement. No, but first she gets chased by the homeless oh, guy. Oh, that's right. Andre. Oh, Andre. Andre. Our other character. Really cool character, by the way. Yes. Andre is screaming from the streets and chases her incidentally into the house. He's like, don't go in there. Like, but. Of course, we were already set up that this neighborhood is really bad. We know what some bad hoods in L.A. look like. And so I would do the same thing. Like, this man's coming and screaming at me. I'm going to run inside the house, of course. But he's trying to warn her. About what's going yeah. on in the depths within. And and again, so this introduces, again, I think this movie is really a commentary on ownership of houses and renting. Like, it has so many themes right. around housing issues. And I think that's why it hits a nerve in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. these days. That's why, I think that's what made it go the yeah. extra mile of becoming even more successful. It's a movie of its time. Right. The same way that Breaking Bad in 2008 is such a movie about the housing crisis then. Mm-hmm. Houses are so expensive. And then there's places like that where they're so cheap, but nobody lives there. Right. And so it's it's also this idea, like, and we've seen this transition um, with the inflation and the mortgage rates being psychotic. I think it's 8.5 today. Mm. It's, no one can afford it. There's so many people who can't afford houses. Mm-hmm. And so, and then there's like a few people who own a lot of houses and they're using it as rentals. Yeah. And so forth. Right. Yeah. So like slumlords, as mm-hmm. we call them. And I feel like AJ Justin Long is the ultimate slumlord. Oh my god, he is a slumlord <laughs> and a slime ball. He is yes. no bueno. Um, so let's go back to um, Tess. Tess is chased in by Andre. Mm-hmm. And doesn't heed his warning. And then she goes, how did she get into the basement? Did she see the door was open? Was so, um, yes, the door is open. So that kind of said, okay, what's going on over there? But then she gets Because mom's been in. running around. <laughs> but then she goes in and the door closes and she can't open mm. it. Because you have to open it from the other side. Right. And so this is when she discovers the basement from Saw. Oh, Down there. God. What the fuck is going this on is in the basement? terrifying. And again... She's a heroine. She's a final girl that we can all get behind because she looks down. She sees something fucking creepy. And she goes, nope. And then she turns around. But then the, and then the door in. gets yeah. locked. Yeah, okay. that's what happens. Um, no, so she uses, interestingly, the mirror to deflect the light from the little window into the hallway because it's so dark. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is so smart. Um, so she goes in there. And discovers the room that has this like dirty ass. Oh my god! She finds we have a mattress covered in blood and a bucket and the camera and it is dingy and and terrifying. Ah, Oh my god! This is one of the greatest things about this movie. The movie never really explains what goes in this room. You infer it later. Oh yeah, you know what's up. Like I mean, I'm sorry as a woman and and you as somebody that watches a lot of horror films. You you know what goes on. Some Tessies, Tessies (laughs) in the basement. He's in the basement. This sequence is terrifying. It has a really cool shot of her feet as she's walking down that dark hallway. This was one of the most scariest moments in the movie oh for me. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, and it's all dread. Then, of course, she goes back into the basement and sees Keith has arrived. And he helps her get out. Well, she's banging on the, the window, house. and doesn't he, like, he... You know, they, like, push together, and then she can yeah. open it. And I even, um, at this moment, I still didn't trust him. Yeah. At this moment, I'm like, oh, you are you made sure that she's locked in that basement. Again, he has done nothing. <laughs> I just don't trust him. 
So she realizes that she has the keys with her, which means that when Keith, a.k.a. Penny, little Penny, comes back, he won't be able to open the door. He won't be able to rescue her from the basement. So she really has to get herself out of there. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so she gives little Penny the key so that he can open the house, which she had herself. Mm -hmm. And so then he releases her from the chamber of horrors that is that basement. Mm -hmm. And she's like, we're getting, she's in pure Jordan Peele fashion. We're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, he went to Jordan through interviews. He has said that he kind of went to him for some mentor advice. And um, he saw an early cut of the film and gave him some notes. And um, so, yeah, he, I feel like Jordan had a lot of influence on the essence of the movie. Um, so she's up there. She's like, bye, white boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the fuck out. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And she's like, um, bed in the bucket. Bed in the bucket. <laughs> like, I'm just like, use your words. Say that there's blood. <laughs> in the wall. little handprint. little baby handprint. <laughs> the little handprint really stuck with yes. you. Oh, oh, I know um, what to do to you for Halloween then. Yes. <laughs> so, of course... The white guy has to go see it for himself, doesn't believe the woman. But you know what? Wait, I'm going to pause on this. I'm going to pause on that because that was my first take because I was in defense mode watching this. The second time watching this and knowing that he's done nothing wrong, he does actually listen to her. I know he has to see it with his own eyes. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Like, that's fair. She's hysterical. He doesn't know who the fuck she is either. But he does clearly say, hey, I hear you. I just haven't seen it. So he, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a really interesting turn. It was, it was funny. He acts, he acts that, perf- that part really well. Yeah. But it's like, I, my own curiosity needs to be fed before we go. And it will take me 30 seconds. Yeah, to just, just let me do this about. really quick. I, and he was just like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> kind of like, I'm sorry this happened to you. He is very apologetic. He's, he's a good guy. <laughs> and I feel like a dick on this <laughs> rewatch of how harsh I was thinking about little penny it's you know coming from promising young woman this is yeah this is a setup we there's just... a black girl there's a white guy like, mm, mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. okay so he goes down there and never comes back oh now um, this is brutal this was like the the stakes are raised when she yeah. goes back down there and discovers door number just a door within the door oh my god and opens that other secret wall like false wall that leads to a fucking staircase into an even crazier chamber uh-huh. of things and tunnels and that her walking down those steps we've already built up this whole the basement there's like many layers inside many basements within this basement mm-hmm. so her going down those steps that was one of the scariest parts that of was the I, yeah both and times. hearing his voice and then he says something bit me you're like oh god what bit him we haven't seen mother yet we don't we don't know what is down there yes and i was like holy shit and then he's and he's convincing her he's like oh we have to go this way and it's like this really intense moment of of escalation they're lost in the kind of labyrinth of tunnels down there i have chills just thinking about so terrifying and to me this moment is the his it's zach rieger's remake of the shower scene this is the shower scene yep not a shower scene at all, which is great, more original. <laughs> but brutal. But it's when one of our, the most famous person in the movie, that's we think it's the main, one of the main characters in the movie, and we're now finally trusting because mm-hmm. we realize it's not him, mm-hmm. um, gets brutally murdered by mother. And it is, it was hard to watch. It yes. was, re- I had to turn away. Even though it's, um, it's very dimly lit, it's a very dark scene. She just takes him and smashes his-, his head and it, and there goes the romance of this movie. <laughs> We're no not a rom-com anymore. <laughs> Runaway Bride. 
Um, and so, yeah, so I think the movie, we meet Mother. Mother is real in this movie. Oh, and she's terrifying. She's <laughs> she not a not CGI a- creation. She is somebody in full-on monster makeup. It's a guy, right? Yeah, it's like a guy in makeup. I saw, I looked up the pictures of the actor. Oh. And brilliantly done. All real. And, you know, good scarier. for that guy for running around in a thong and creeping people out. It's incredible. So we meet this mother creature. Little Pennywise is gone inside his own tunnels. And... And then the movie cuts. And we get a hard it. smash yes. cut to, to Justin Long. And Malibu. <laughs> He's on the PCH living his best life. And we are catching our breath of what just happened. I am traumatized. What did I see? We are trying to put it together. And why the fuck are we in bright, sunny California? So I think a lot of people who are watching this movie really thought there was a mistake in the second reel. You know how really? they used to have reels in movies? Oh, yeah. Like, they thought it was a different... It was a different movie. Oh, that's funny. Because, um, and I don't know how I did not know this. When I went to see this movie, I actually did not know that Justin Long was in the movie. I didn't either. Nope. No, I saw it on um, HBO Max whenever I, whenever it came to streaming. And I was like, what? How did so I not know any secret, of this? Yeah. Uh, the the that he was in the movie was kind of kept from me even after the movie was released. Mm-hmm. Um... And then I had seen, like, the Drew Barrymore show, and she had him on. And she's like, your movie, that's so scary. And I'm like, wait, wait, oh. Oh, this is a meta moment, because in Scream, mm-hmm. they did the psycho, they, they advertised did, yes. heavily with Drew Barrymore being the main character, and she's off within the first five minutes in the cold open. Yeah, and it was actually, Drew, Bar- Drew Barrymore was originally cast as Sidney Prescott, and it was oh. her idea. She chose to do that. She what? was like, what if I'm the opening Love kill? it. And then people think I'm the lead. And we do a full Janet Lee. It was her idea. Cool. So we hard cut and meet this new character. All of a sudden we're in a new movie. And his name is AJ. And he's the worst human being ever. <laughs> and, and kudos for the casting because even Zach Kreger said he did not write this with anybody in mind. He didn't write with little scars. What was your no, look? No. He, he, you know what he, who he wanted originally? Who? Um, Zach Efron. Oh, so stop it. Oh, that would have been so Efron, bad. And Zac Efron dropped out. As, as who? As the as, Little as Penny or no, as AJ? No, 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 as AJ. Oh, that could have worked. He wanted, and then, so then Justin Long, I think, read the script and really wanted to do it. And it was, he was cast a little bit against type. And he was like, oh, this is more interesting. Because mm. Zac Efron is almost He's like two on the nose. extremely likable. And something that Zach Kreger said in a few interviews, he said, who, who's like likable? Who is Tom Hanks' level of likability? Non-threatening. And we're going to cast him as, like, the worst person ever. Yes. All of a sudden, we're in this story, and we're, like, in the sequel to Promising Young Woman, and we have this, like, white, rapey guy who's being accused Yeah, of like, rape, he's, he's taken off a pilot. Canceled. Because, yeah, he, right, and there's an article coming out the next day. He's going to be taken down. His life is over. So then it's, like, this whole thing. And I think the, the person that they mention as writing the article... Or her name is who. When you see the article later on in the movie, when the article actually comes out, he looks at it in mm-hmm. his phone. Is Kim Marsters? Oh yeah, who actually wrote the Harvey Weinstein expose? Yes. So this meta is all meta. meta. There's a story about. There's Hollywood. a lot of allusions to literature in this too. Like that yes. I got on the rewatch. Jane Eyre. Yeah, the, the Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I did get course, that the first time. In Jane Eyre, there's a the woman in the attic. Exactly. Right? So this woman's the in the basement. Yes. <laughs> So we have the Hollywood Reporter and Jane Eyre, and uh, this is a very well-read movie. <laughs> um, and of course, for the longest time, we're watching this awful guy kind of falling and fighting back against being canceled mm-hmm. and being 
getting these accusations laid upon him and he needs his lawyer who fires him. Yeah, and, and he calls his like, accountant. What the fuck is how is this related? Yeah, we're like, where are we? Why how happening? how is he getting to, to Detroit? How is he getting there? Like and what then, is his relation? In that scene with the lawyer we realized, oh, he's the owner of the fucking place. Yeah. And I'm like, interesting. Again, this is a story about housing. Mm-hmm. So this awful white dude who lives in California owns his house all the way back in Detroit. In, in Detroit. Of course, he has to liquidate his assets in order to afford the law, the defense, the lawyers that are going to defend mm-hmm. him against these accusations. So then that's what draws him back to, to Michigan. Michigan. And, and also, um, something that struck me, because I'm still on the fence, like I felt so bad for judging Little Penny, and now we're a bad dude. And I'm like, he's being accused of something bad. So they Did were like, do wait, it? yeah, we, we're, we go there and because uh, yeah. it's Justin Long, because it's Justin exactly, Long. Exactly. Because he's casting. so likable. Like, maybe he didn't do it. He's, you know, he's Justin Long. Like, but then, they were like, but then he makes that phone call. He's like, that bitch. And like, he's just, <laughs> he is Jeremy Piven to an 11. He is, he's just very Oh, aggro. that wonderful. <laughs> I love this. So he gets, so he gets home, right? Mm. And he, we know that he's from Detroit and he calls his mom and there's a mother in voice uh, of his mother. Mama, his mama. <laughs> Um, that did not raise so him he, well. Maybe he should be in a tunnel. So he's kind of like a new Norman Bates, but an awful Norman Bates. He has his own mother. I think Norman Bates was pretty awful from the get-go. He killed people. No, but he was so sweet. And like, oh, but you would have been murdered. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't fall. Don't fall for the white boy. <laughs> Gee. Oh, my God. He goes to Detroit. And he lies to his mom about being there. Yes. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, he seems like there's like some slight backstory of being rejected by his father or something. He's like, yeah. well, my dad, he asked about me. So he has, you know, insecurity issues own. about yeah. me, about his manhood. We're seeing how monsters are made yes. a little bit. So then we have, this is the true monster of the movie, by the way. So mm-hmm. as the movie unfolds, and this is what's so fascinating about it, mother is not the monster. He is. Justin Long is. Well, and Justin and Frank. We got double yes. monsters. Well, we're, 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 we're not getting to <laughs> we're Frank We're not getting to yet. Frank. Frank is not um, and so then there's that scene where he goes out with his childhood friend, who's played by Zach Rieger. Oh, love it. Hitchcock, Hitchcock cameo. cameo. <laughs> and they go to this bar, and he's like, oh, I'm going to tell you what really happened. And, was, and then we start learning, oh, yeah, he really did. Which, from his sucks. phone call, he was so aggressive, that, and just blaming this woman that already, in my mind, was like, yep, you are bad. Okay, all right, bad man. <laughs> well, but he calls her drunk after he comes home from oh, yeah. the bar. That's right? true. That's true. So he calls the girl that he's not supposed to contact, and he just no makes boundaries. the situation even worse. So it's it's a very much an anti-hero middle act mm-hmm. where like this person is awful, but he's in trouble. The situation for him keeps getting worse, but we agree with his situation getting worse. It's like interesting. Like, we're, we're rooting for his downfall. We're, we're rooting for his downfall. Yeah. Yeah. Even like though, this fucker. Like it's kind of when Weinstein went to Rikers. We're like, okay, guys. When, exactly. When's somebody gonna shank? You know, I um, wouldn't feel too bad about it because he's a monster. Uh, I he's also, such an asshole with the Tessa's property. He throws her computer. Oh yeah. He's okay. Well, she, he sucks. <laughs> one as as an Airbnb host, it's kind of like my worst nightmare of coming home and if their shit is everywhere, and then I have another guest coming. I'm just like, ah, oh, no. But um, he's he's a bitch to the management company. He doesn't know yes. what's going on. He this is just like some little property that's making him money. Entitled. Not, yeah, entitled little shit. And um. 
And as we go, we just hate him more. We hate more. him more. But also on this rewatch, it made sense to me. I do feel, and this is like very hippie woo-woo, but I do think that like attracts like. And it makes sense that the owner of the house, which we're about to meet pretty soon, um, he was a horrible dude that did really bad things to women. And he attracted this. He he grandfathered oh, it in. He attracted yes. this energy. You know yes. what I mean? And so... Um, so yeah, he shows up. He sees Georgina and Little Penny stuff all over the place. Um, and then he's like, I can't remember when we go into the flashback. Does he start measuring everything? Like oh he's yes, <laughs> which so is hilarious. This is a hilarious <laughs> moment. I and mean, again, it goes with Zach being a comedy guy and horror guy. Is you know, um, he goes down to the basement with a knife and a flashlight because doesn't he see the door open? Like yeah, he's going through their shit. And he and he throws, have a gun, but he doesn't really have well, a gun. Well, he throws Jane Eyre. That's when yes. we notice Jane Eyre. So he pulls Jane Eyre out of the out throws of it. suitcase and throws and it. And makes a really good throw, by the way. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> like, wow, you hit your mark, buddy. And he goes down there with the knife and the flashlight. And um, then he finds the stuffed movie room. Yes. And, and he immediately goes like, ooh, square footage. I can sell this house for more. Brilliant scene. And then it gets... Because you think he's Googling, like, the murder in the house and what happened here. No, he like, wants to no, know if he can... Get more money so he can footage. pay his... Because he's in a bind, right? Yeah. He has to pay these lawyers. These he's expensive. just thinking about himself. He needs Johnny Cochran to defend him and the Kardashian guy. <laughs> like, he needs the OJ defense. <sighs> and in parallel or in contrast to the sequence that I love Tess finds first the, the murder room or the chamber of rape and death yeah. and then how it builds into the more room there's the, there's there's the stairs and the tunnels Ugh. This it's a repeat of that but in a comedic way mm-hmm. because then of course he discovers that there's more there's a stairwell that goes down and he keeps measuring everything down there and it's so funny it's really funny <laughs> the measuring tape scene so no, that's funny. And also with horror movies, it, there's power and repetition. I mean, in all filmmaking, there's power and repetition. And what you just pointed out, they do it in such a comedic way. We're terrified the first time, and then we're like a little bit more at ease. We're not all the way at ease. We know something's down there, but it's just so comical how sociopathic he is that he does not, like, I think he even bumps into the bed. He's like, oh, gross. <laughs> like, he opposite sits on reaction. It. He sits yeah, on he, it. he gets up. He, like, sits on, like, thinking, we're measuring. And he's like, ugh. He's just so consumed <laughs> with, with dollar signs. And, of course, this entire hilarious sequence takes him right to the point where we were left when we had the hard cut. Mm-hmm. Which is he's in the right, exact same tunnel in the exact same place mm-hmm. where little Pennywise was killed, mm-hmm. and we last saw our Marion Tess heroine. Mm-hmm. We want this guy to get it because yeah, we we're rooting. Hate him. We're rooting. We for want him to be killed like Skarsgård. Yeah, but he is not. So he wanders into that mysterious room, and it's the nursing room. Yes, the nursing room. There's a VHS on loop with a woman breastfeeding like, breastfeeding. like how to breastfeed your baby and it's like what is and happening and he probably was just like oh there's a tit that's probably like what motivated him yeah. to enter that room honestly <laughs> at this point um, and then there's like that Jaws nod he has the measuring tape oh, and then it starts spinning out yeah, like something's on the other catch, end good catch good catch um, and that's terrifying. We think it's Mother on the other end of this measuring tape, knowing that Mother's down there. But instead, it does that, um, it misdirects. So, like, we have Tess. Tess is alive. Tess has been down there. And she goes up to him and covers his mouth with, like, shh, shh, shh. Like, he, she is freaked the fuck out. And again, it's, like, the end of that act, or so we think. The It's either a really long second act. 
Do you think this so is like think, act 2B or do you think this is the beginning of the third act? Because well, then we the, go the into the flashback. Well, the kind of break, so it has a really long first act, right? Yeah, it's like 40 um, minutes or You can say right? the inciting incident is when we meet Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, Hitchcock did the same thing when we meet Mother, mm-hmm. um, a.k.a. Norman Bates in drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes to the second act. So the, I feel like this is a very long sequence where we now connect back to our protagonist, which is Tess. So then, as they finally meet, the two stories that were separate, the two movies that seem different from each other, yeah. Tess is alive. met yeah. uh, at the point. So I see the Justin Long thing as a new Act One oh. that goes, meets the other Act One. Oh. So, Say that again. I, yes. I'm not sure what you're saying here. So Act One is typically when you set up the main character, the world, the situation. Right. And then there's an inciting incident that leads to the conflict that's going to run in Act Two. Mm-hmm. So that's, but in this case, we have a really long first act, which mm-hmm. is that entire situation of the Airbnb and mm-hmm. Little Penny. And then, so the inciting incident is that we meet the, th- the real threat, which is Mother living in the basement. Mm-hmm. Then we start again. We have a new character and a new situation and a new setup of stories. This guy is in a bind. He's going to be accused of rape. He has to get money. And so it's kind of like Psycho again, like getting the money, like the way Marion steals the $40,000. Mm-hmm. There's a morally corrupt character mm-hmm. going to another state, right? Mm-hmm. In the, and it was Phoenix and then to California and Psycho. So we get a repeat of Act 1 and then... The, the Justin Long character goes to this ends up in the same situation and meets Tess and meets Mother. So both storylines reach their inciting incident. Okay. And so then we cut to the flashback. It, it, it dovetails. <laughs> um, yes. So I think it's two very... Uh, this is the way I interpret but Other people might interpret it no, differently. No, like this, this is interesting. So I think I mean. it's two different act ones that meet. Okay. And so now we have our two characters dealing with Mother. Mm-hmm. And we f- we're finally going to start Act 2, which is how are they going to get... The, the conflict is what, how are they going to get the fuck out of there, mm-hmm. right? They're trapped in these tunnels. Yeah. And, um, then it cuts to the backstory yes. of someone else. So, yeah, so <laughs> we go into a flashback, which yes. I am a fan of. I do, like, this 80s flashback at the end to kind of explain, just a hint. They're not going to tell you... They're not going to give you all oh, and the I love deets. that they didn't do the whole thing. Oh, they yeah. Just did a little they just bit, hinted. But, yes, then you fill in the blanks. And the first thing I noticed when we go into the flashback, which is... 1980, because they, the radio that he's listening to mentions that Ronald Reagan had just been elected president. Yeah. And did it bring you back? Did, did your parents ever have like a boat car or anything like that? Yes. The 80s were very famous for having those big metal boat cars. cars. And that's Massive. also, we go to John Carpenter land too, because in a lot of his movies, it's just like the killer and Michael Myers, they love those little rides. We see the neighborhood when it was thriving. Oh yeah, it is it manicured apart. and bright it's and airy. Fucking Edward Scissorhands. It land. is. It's Edward Scissorhands. Oh, Utopia. The shots are really cool. Oh, and in the this. jump cuts. The jump. The cuts jump cuts and the steady so cam. Yeah. And uh, you it's know, it's very shining. Yes, steady uses steady cam. Yeah, you know me. I love a good behind the head shot. Yes. Not not Lincoln style. That sounded really bad. The so, entire sequence has a different film grammar, but immediately. Again, it's a story about housing. So we see the neighborhood before it fell apart. And we see why. Interesting love. We get a hint that the Reagan Reaganomics killed Detroit. Poltergeist throwback. Yes. So they're like, oh, the guy, the neighbor's leaving. He's like, I'm getting the fuck out of here because this shit is going to go down. Yeah, he's like, it's going to hell. And he's very cheery. And this guy could not get Frank. So could not give a shit. Again, to me. Frank is like, great. I, you're not going to be nosy and up in my stuff as I stalk and murder women. So great. Get out of here. Because he's like, nope, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. So the, the, the movie connects um, this housing crisis 
but it also connects the you know toxic white masculinity with, with, with the three male characters we're going to talk about in a second but also it's this whole make America great again Trump connecting back to Reagan's slogan so we go back to the Reagan era how this whole thing started then mm. so whatever the situation the horrors that the characters of the presence goes all the way back to 1980 mm. because that's the setup of not only the serial killer story which mm. yields my, my mother and then everything else that's happening, which we learned a little bit more than we had Andre later on explaining a little bit more about. Um, about what went down. The, the, the tunnels of horror. But again, it's up to us to throw judgment on this guy. Yes. So from the, the study cam, and there's like a, it's like a 12 millimeter lens on the study cam, I believe. It has like this really cool, smooth, creepy effect that I can't quite. And like vibrant. But yeah, everything's bright and happy, but we know some dark shit is happening. So we're following Frank as he's in the grocery store, you know, getting ready for his next victim. He's even kind of... Dexter. Yeah, he's... Dexter moment. He's dextering. Or Dahmer. Yeah, he's like looking for plastic sheets, you know, just going to his serial killer shopper list, you know. And it's interesting that the woman really helps him. He gives this story about, like, um, he's going to have someone give birth, which is actually true, right? That's what he I does. Mean, he rapes he's the not women. Lying. He's being he's not honest, lying. <laughs> like Little Penny. He's forthright. It's a fascinating portrait of a serial killer because he kidnaps these women and rapes them and has children with them and rapes the children and just creates, like, I guess many. And this is where a sequel could potentially be made. There could be many people down there. Mm. This is where I thought, oh, people under the stairs. Mm. There's not just mother down there. There's all these there's other a whole people. Community. There's all community. Interesting. And this is where a sequel could work if they I wanted want to, it. but I don't think they're going to do it. I don't want it. it. But I like the hint of it. Yeah. The um, hint that the, 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 the horrors of those tunnels is way more bigger and vaster. Yeah. I, I feel like the first time um, when I saw this with Jack... I think he was more freaked out about the tunnels. Like, he, he was really scared of the dude. Mm-hmm. Everybody's ultimately scared of this guy versus mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she's terrifying in her own right. But it's just like the evil of man, but the tunnels. And, and even during watching it for the first time, I'm like, okay, did he carve out these tunnels by himself? Or is this kind of some really old house that had these passageways and he made it work? And I think that this man created that I think, I think he, he created, created I mean, it, was, it was how many 42 years oh yeah, yeah that's right 42 yeah. years um, he had some time on his hands so there was I no think, internet back then I think he created it's like he's like a little ant creating a little oh. ant farm down there oh. with, and with all his incestuous family <gasps> creepy and accurate analogy <laughs> I'm into it um, um, and also I wanted to point out Two things, the music and the sound in this sequence of him shutting the metal trunk, the jingling of the keys. There's like a crow overhead. There's a vroom vroom. There's a motorcycle. The sound design in this one particular scene was so interesting when he's putting the groceries away and stalking his next victim. I, it was just really detailed. And then they also go into like the tinny radio um, what you're talking about with Reagan and all these other announcements to demonstrate what year it is. And then um, it's also, very immersive and visceral. You're inside these guys' headspace. Yeah. It's almost like, like a video and game. And it's uncomfortable. Where you're, yeah. I don't want to be there. Him, which is kind of what Ugh. the movie did with the Justin Long thing earlier. Right. So, of course. And there's a connection between yeah. AJ and him because they're both rapey people. Yes. Um, um, and, and then also the Carpenter music. They, they, yeah. they don't do a lot of and music in this movie. And is there a Christine-esque car? <laughs> 
Wait, no, it's, it's the big it's, boat. No, the Christine's like a Buick. It's like a. No, but there's a red car. It's her car. Oh, I didn't yeah, notice yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. There, and I looked it up, and it is. He was referencing Christine. <gasps> Wait, who actually, had the car? The um, Kate Bothworth's character. But yes, so yes, there's a reference to Christine in that sequence, and it's her car when she's unloading into. Oh, that's the crazy! House. I did not catch that. And I, I was too, I, I was too mesmerized by the jump cut of him watching because I thought that was such a cool thing. And remember, oh, wow. in Christine, it's that this um, serial killer died in the car. Mm. Right, and that's what makes him the car. Even though it becomes a woman, oh, it's like it's a the trans soul. person. Oh, interesting! It's like Chucky. <laughs> so I think he he was really inspired by John Carpenter. This entire sequence, I do and too. There's not and there's it. a lot of director influences. I mean, besides the Jordan Peele thing, but um, we have Stephen King elements, like for story. We have um, John Carpenter for direction. A little bit of Fincher in this too, with yes. how dark and grainy it very is. Very zodiacy. Very yeah. zodiacy. And. Um, and also, of course, Alfred Hitchcock, right? So oh, he, yeah, these Hitchcock, are, This is his palette. Yeah. This is his palette. He threw he's a little bit of with. everybody, which I really liked. Um, also, and I wrote this down right now, there's a huge influence from Dario Argento. Oh. Um, there's a movie called Phenomena that was released in the U.S. as Creepers, starring the fabulous Jennifer Connelly. I have it and on my to-watch list for it's so three good. years. Okay, I have not watch seen it. it yet. So you'll see, when you watch it, you'll see the connections. Okay. There's tunnels. I'm just going to say that. Oh. Tunnels are involved. <laughs> so um, so we cut back to Tess, trying to calm down Justin yes. Long. And she's like, don't freak out, mother. She just wants you to be the baby. She's trying to help him. She's just like, we're going to stay alive here. She just don't <laughs> escalate her. Just be cool, okay? There's that really disturbing. This was also very hard. This, guy, this goes into Cronenberg territory a little bit. Um with the not body horror but it's just so grotesque with like trying to feed the yes and the, the, bottle, the, bottle, Justin, moment, yeah. the bottle moment so and then it has like hair in the there's bottle. hair on the rubbery uh, nipple of yeah. the bottle That's and it's so, so gross. gross and she's taking this milk and you're like what the fuck does that even taste like <laughs> and then Justin's of course grossed out he kind of defies oh nothing's gonna happen to me it's like the entire yeah, white he's guy in, he's, he's like, invincible. I'm uh, and and, and, and we not. see we see glimpses of mother through flashlights and and spotlights. Like we still don't get the entire being. Exactly, of we're not quite. It's like we just watched this flashback about this serial killer. So we're not quite. What we're the like, fuck is we're this like, guy who are really? you? <laughs> yeah, he's another. It's like a new story again, introduced much shorter than the introduction of Justin Long. But we get another first act, like yeah. a third one. So this, I love that about this movie. It's like, we're fucking with you. I love it. We're fucking with you. I, I was time. so engaged and stressed <laughs> out. The, and specifically this sequence when she's like, okay, just take the milk. And Justin's like, no, thanks. Not doing that. He's probably on some dairy-free shit. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, nope. And then I'm like, Justin, you're going to get the tit. You're going to get this grotesque awesome. tit. Of course. Oh. You didn't want that bottle. Now you're getting this. The, the old saggy tit. Oh, my God. And I'm just cringing this entire time. And um, also at this moment, you notice that Tess and Justin are just complete opposites of the spectrum. You have her. She's hyper vigilant. Mm-hmm. She cares about other people. She has empathy. He is in it for his fucking self. And he really sticks to his character. It's, 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 you, you keep thinking, oh, maybe he'll, you know. He maybe this, he'll be the good guy. Yeah, no. maybe he'll switch. In, the, in this under dress, right? When somebody shows you no. who they are, believe it. So then 
we have that sequence where they split up. And um, Andre is around, right? Yes. Um, Andre pulls her out of the window, like as Justin is <laughs> is suckling, suckling from that. Suckling mother. She manages to escape. Oh, she digs herself out of her. She's very resourceful. She yeah. doesn't need a man Smart, to help her out of the girl. hole. Great final girl. Um, so she gets herself the fuck out of there. Fuck mm-hmm. Justin Long. This is when Andre says, she ain't even the worst thing in there. We're like, who the fuck is down there now? And then and we're like, okay, it's Frank. That's when we kind of piece together then, then, that Frank then, is there. And Justin Long basically manages to get away from Mother and finds Frank in his like little deathbed thing. He's in his bed and finds his BHS tapes. Oh, yeah. And it's a very Tessie's moment. Oh, yeah. And he watches the crimes that he has, I guess, a VHS for victims. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of women victims. Oh, and they're crudely named, too. At first, it's just like Cassie and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like Skinny Blonde and Bad Nosebleeder. You you just kind of, again, it's a, it's a Blair Witch moment of you choose your own adventure of how horrible... Like, you kind of go the darkness of your mind mm-hmm. to think of, like, what happened to these women. And I don't think they show the, the video. They don't show they any don't show video. It, they are which, not again, it's another Tessie's reference. We can just we imagine. We just imagine the worst. And, of course, this is a moment where this awful character, AJ, by Justin Long, kind of meets a version of himself. Oh, yeah. Self? So Meet future self. Yes. It's like whenever I see Angeline. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing! I love that. <laughs> well, also during this, we are cutting back and forth. Yes, between the two, which, which I think is interesting, really cool. And this is really what would be the traditional second act of the movie, right? Okay. They're trying to get themselves out of the situation. Yeah, they're trapped in. She gets out. He does. He's, he's meeting Frank for he's the first time. Frank. He's rotting he's away in his moment. gross, yeah, in his gross bed, and. and Tess is running through the streets, having a believe women moment. She is muddy and bloody and gross and and she has no id no phone she flags down cops and then we have this whole little commentary on the cops being like oh this is too much paperwork you're just a crazy yes. person i'm not in the mood for this kind of thing not even taking she's like i have been trapped i have been kidnapped <laughs> and they're like all we see is and they that you're trying to break into a like house like a crackhead mm-hmm. one of the one of the homeless people so here's an interesting this is when i realized what the movie was really about oh um, which is this dehumanization of life based on wealth disparity, right? The, the, the creation of homelessness comes from wealth disparities. People are kind of priced out of society because they can't afford anything. Yeah. And we kind of dehumanize them as drug addicts or killers or murderers because they're just... They don't exist as part of society. And so also, the, also, our healthcare is so horrible that whenever people are mentally ill, like it's... It's so sad and very common. There, there's nowhere for them to there's turn. No, and there's no help. The it's easier to lock so somebody up and then get them that help. have parents or relatives that yeah. are in the streets are homeless because they're because mentally that, ill. Yeah, it's, and there's it's no really way to frustrating. Help them. Yeah, um, she's being judged very. By the way she looks, mm-hmm. by the way she's acting, hysterical, and it's this whole idea of the hysterical yeah. woman. It's all about putting all people into boxes. That this started in Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre is that first representation of the hysterical woman. So it all oh. connects. Wow. So she becomes the woman in the attic in that scene. Oh. So then she goes back to the neighborhood and tries to get into her car. Is that what happens? She's so, like, okay, I have no help. From yeah, anyone. she's like, uh, here I go. And and this is funny. Like You mentioned this today um, earlier when we were out in the wild about the descent. I had descent vibes here of you go back yes. to the scene of the crime. Yeah. And it's just, it's so frustrating and also um, anxiety inducing for an audience member to go, you survived! You got out of here! Why are you returning to the scene of the crime? And I just, I think that setup is so interesting because 
you're going to go back and revisit it. Are, are you that cocky but that you think em- you're going to survive? But she's empathetic. She wants to save she's Justin Long. So she um, and Justin are put in similar situations. They pat, they are challenged to the same test. And we know that Tess is going to make the good choices and try to save. And we know that Justin is going to be all about himself. Exactly. Which he is. So Motherfucker. She, <laughs> so she breaks into the House of Horrors. And, um... And gets her keys, right? Yeah, she gets her keys. Yeah, and, and like, that's okay, when she goes to the car, and she's like, "I'm going to run this bitch down. I'm going to exactly. plow into the, the house and, and save so Justin." Mother, as Justin is still with um, OG serial killer Frank, mother comes after her, and she drives her. She um, drives through the windshield. Yeah, and then they have this really creepy, intense face-to-face moment as mother is locked into the windshield. She's still yes. like trying to come for her, and also. Um, something I thought that was really well done was the the guttural the thing because she's a fair she was a feral child. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is ultimately explained by Andre is that this is we have generational upon generational incest happening in here that um, that Frank was raping his victims' daughters and they were probably not even of age, so he's also a pedophile. And as a result of not having anybody introduced to society or any kind of language, you, that's the way that you communicate, just through marbled sounds. And that itself was kind of Frankenstein-y. And we had this moment of like thinking, well, Mother is a victim, too. She was exactly. innocent. So that, again, She's a product of this. The, the thing that we think is the horrific monster in the in those tunnels turns out to be the victim of the worst horrors which makes me whenever i watch real housewives of salt lake city i'm (laughs) trying not to judge mary cosby so much oh god (laughs) um i think she's awful but i'm like you know she married her step-grandfather maybe she's got her own barbarian situation i don't know so then they have this move this moment this face-to-face thing and then we have justin telling frank which i thought was so interesting of like hey i'm gonna get you out of here because he's like you're like me bro and then that's when he sees the betamax vhs tapes he's like wait a minute Hmm, things are not like a little right and then frank pulls out the gun and and decides to kill himself i know of course so the the, the newly introduced big bad frank Mm -hmm. dies so this is already another fucking break in the narrative that i think is it's unexpected it's infuriating it's not a vengeful death but that awful Ness is transferred in a little bit to the Justin Long character, who we already know is awful. Mm. Um, so, in many ways, Frank's horribleness, best, it's now represented in Justin Long. So then the next part of the movie, so I think to me, that's the end of Act 2. Oh. When Frank dies. You um, know, I can see that because then they do the whole water tower thing, and, and that's a ru- very quick act yes. three, which a lot of which European movies do. They do a real quick flash in the pan act three. So it's the end is when she runs uh, mother over, and we think she's dead, right? And then when he when Frank is is, Frank. is killed himself, yeah. So it absolves both problems exactly. Okay. So then because we think, oh, we've killed the monsters, the monsters are dead. <laughs> Also, on this rewatch, I kind of, I was so wrapped up in the moment the first time, I didn't really notice when he grabbed the gun. And then Tess, because she's such a good final girl and cares about people, she goes in to save Justin. And in a simple, like, she's not even doing anything too intense, no sudden moves. She's like, hello? And he shoots her. And we're like, 
God damn it, she returned to the scene of the crime for you, and you do this. And then you do this without... Ah, my blood boiled. It was so And then we, we keep expecting the redemption of Justin yeah, Long, the redemption of these awful men. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, and he's going to help her get out, and he's, they limp out of there together. And so it's like, okay, is he going to be a good guy now? And, and also he... Hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> They limp out of there together. And Andre, awesome character, Andre. He's like, guys, we're going to the water tower. Let me give you the lowdown. And that's when he explains the generations of incest and Frank is so horrible and all this kind of thing. And then he points out to, to Tess of like, oh, she got you real good. And then Justin. Cops, to, c- cops do it, yeah, right? He, 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 he owns it. He owns accountable. it like Lizarina. Also... <laughs> So at this moment, he is accountable. He takes responsibility. He goes, no, I did that. And then he has this whole Weinstein's lament by the fire, hyping himself up that he is probably a bad person. No, he is a bad person. He starts believing his sins and he vows to do better. So and you're again, like, okay, redemption arc, it's happening. He's like, finally learning his lesson. There's hope for these awful men. But uh, hold just, my beer again. Hold your beer. <laughs> and it also takes a demon tit to give you some self-reflection. <laughs> and then we have Andre giving his best Samuel L. Oh, he does. In Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> <laughs> great reference, that Zach Krieger. That's great. That's We're great. in mid-speech. He's giving us his entire analysis of the situation. Mother just like blasts through Blast and brute and I had tank. to look away. I'm like, don't kill Andre. And then she just Fucking, savagely I had yes. to turn away. It was gross. Um Justin bolts, not surprisingly. He, he takes he is what he he's is. Running up that hill. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of like when you and I went to a haunted house, a really like in our twenties or yeah, in our late twenties, and somebody came at us with a chainsaw and you just kinda like pushed me a little forward and you bolted. <laughs> Oh my god, I remember that. And I that. think that's why we haven't done Universal Harness. I'm like, oh my god, he would use my body as a shield. <laughs> like, you just bolt. You're like, I'm gone, I'm out of here. It's, it's your reaction. It's your severe. <laughs> like, I gotta go. <laughs> but the so that reminded me. He's just like, I'm running. And she's like, wait. She's like, nah, you're and on your own. she's fucking injured. And she's like, I'm not helping you no more. Um, I don't want that Ted on my face anymore. So they run up to the top of the water tank, right? So he goes in first. Um, yeah, and then, and then she, she reminds she him. Yeah, she's she's chasing after him, like, wait for me. What the fuck? And she reminds him that he has a gun. Again, smart, resourceful girl making all the right moves. So after this whole self hype speech of I'm going to be a better man, this Kanye kind of rally himself like I'm going to be better and be the change that I see he's like okay hey um, I can say myself but you're going to have to delay her well, you're going to have to the final twist is like he's more awful than you ever thought and like a Frank true Frank lives within Justin Long like a true Bravo villain he literally <laughs> throws her under the bus She he takes her body throws it off the water tower and you're like like, what i remember that was very shocking so there was this beautiful close-up on her face and it's slow-mo she's falling from the tower and then we see mother leap after her her it's really sweet yeah she's self-sacrificing because this is her baby oh it's kind of a little tender moment and we have a moment in the slow-mo it gives us a minute to catch our breath and go yeah she was innocent she's a victim of this so yeah mother breaks her fall and it's sweet. She self-sacrificed for her baby. And then Justin 
comes on down there to inspect the damage. And I am sorry he starts explaining a way of doing because we think that Tess is dead, but actually she's just really severely injured. And he starts explaining away why his, he did be, what he his did. Terrible behavior. He is Tom Sandoval. He is just like, <laughs> you made me do this with the batteries and the toilet paper. Like he is the worst. <laughs> the worst. And, and, um, and she's just kind of like, she's kind of like, yeah, I've heard this all before. I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm in pain. <laughs> like, she's just trying to live. And then we get the audience member gets what they want. We didn't get it with Frank's death, but we get it with Justin's death. Yes. We Mama. get mother pulling the shit out of his eyes. Which is a reference to Jeepers Creepers. Yes. That was Justin. Which Justin was in, right? It was his introduction um, to uh, horror. Um and also, he was in Drag Me to Hell. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah, he was. And so, you know, Justin has a history with horror. And also, um, Tusk. He was in Tusk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's a Kevin good Smith. Yeah, okay. he's a good horror actor. And also, I did try to watch Goosebumps recently on Hulu. Horrible. He's great in it, but I tried to watch the first episode, and it was just bad. But um, So, so Mother is sad to see Tess in pain. Our heartstrings are still being tugged. And then Tess, turns out, she has the gun. Shoots mom. Shoots mom. Shoots mom. And then title. Title card. Title card. Abrupt ending. And then we get that those little um, after the credit sequences. Which is very <laughs> totem goat. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. That's so true. Right? So Can we see her get away. Oh, that's so I, interesting. So we made totem goat before this film <laughs> came out. But it's also a nod to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, which is, this is what it's this doing. This is what it's too. doing. So I, you know, I love to be a little egomaniac on that. But yeah, whatever. It's a Texas Chainsaw reference. So even from the credits to the after the fact where she's limping, which in my movie, I hate my limp. I look like I have something stuck up my ass as I'm going to the road. Like it's a bad limp. It's a horrible limp. And then what I really enjoyed from this was the be my baby song song. Yes. Because not only the, you know, symbolism of be my little baby and be my little baby. Oh, that was beautiful. Let's sing it some more. Was, oh, I don't know the rest I felt like I was there. <laughs> felt like I was there in the 60s. Um, so it was performed by the Renuts, and it's written and produced by Phil Spector, <gasps> who no. is married to Ronnie. And in her memoir, she talks about how she was imprisoned in Spector's mansion, like in 72. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, she underwent a lot of psychological Easter torment. Yeah, she wow. was tortured by him. And with the help of her mother, she escaped barefoot <gasps> from the house. Wow. Mind right? Mind-blowing. So it's, this, this is not just an end credit song. Mm-mm. It's a lot more. It's, it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> wow. So, I have a question for you before we end. Oh. I asked you this before we started the podcast. Okay. Why do you think the movie's called Barbarian? There's two oh, reasons for this. yes. Yes. Hmm. I mean, obviously, Frank is barbaric in what he does, but I know. I know what it is. You want me to tell you? Yes, because of the street. <laughs> no, it's, yes. So, it is in reference to the street, to the address, which is Barbary Street. Barbary Street. Right. And it could be a Barbary Inn. But more importantly, the name was created, the name of the street and the name of the movie, it is an acronym of Airbnb. Stop it. Yes. Zach Krieger himself said it in an interview. Didn't know it. He took the words of Airbnb and created the word barbarian out of it. Amazing. 
Brilliant. I love that guy. <laughs> love that guy. That was amazing. Uh, so we're going to quickly go to our streamers and screamers. Yes. What have you watched in the theater? You know what? I know because I watched it with you. Let's just talk about it. Yeah. So a good movie that we saw. Yes. It's the Australian horror movie Talk to Me. Talk to Me. Highly recommend. I was tense the entire it time. It was a traumatic experience. And, I, and very we saw this rarely, as a matinee. We saw yeah. this at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. And we needed drinks afterwards. We were, we were stressed. Like, Shit, we need shots. And you jumped very yes. much. It was. I covered we my eyes. Shaking. We yeah. were shaking. It was shaking. It had a physical effects on us. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Very. I highly recommend this too. I I loved. Talk to me. And um, for our streamer, no. Oh yes. Okay, we'll leave that for the (laughs) end. Yeah, because I know you're going to rant about the other thing. (laughs) Um, So for our streamer, we are deep into Chucky. Yeah. On Peacock. Jesus Christ! So this is a brilliant. So it's um, created by the original writer of all of Mm -hmm. the Chucky movies, Mm -hmm. Don Mancini. He wrote the original Child's Play. And all of its sequels. And I believe there are six, wait, oh six God, movies total. So, so Child's Play, Child's Play 2, Child's Play 3. And I love the reboot um, that came out with uh, Aubrey Plaza. He's not involved. He was not involved in the remake. They offered it to him, but he instead opted to do this kind of series. He was more interested in continuing this story and then doing this kind of, I guess, requel or... Because this series serves as a sequel to all the movies, so it's all a continuing story, yeah, and which it's, is amazing. It's so referential, and without giving you guys spoilers, because what? Where I'm at the end of season one. Are you? Did you finish season one? I'm There's three close. seasons. I'm close. Okay. Season three right now. So yeah, we're we're, we're we're just started. We're just getting started, and it's critically acclaimed. So oh, we know it's, it gets better. It, by the pilot, I was texting, going, "This is amazing. It's so funny. This is told in such a sweet way." Of oh, I knew these these kids in high school, and we're not exploiting them. Or or the storyline is it's actually it's so sweet and endearing and also and it, really funny. And also very, I don't think I can ever think of a movie has a 14-year-old gay boy who is out to himself mm-hmm. and his and some members of his family. Mm-hmm. Um, this representation is very fresh and very new. And it's actually, um, so Don Mancini said that the original Shines play was based on his childhood. And so and his real good guy doll that yes. <laughs> wreaked havoc and murdered. So apparently he's a victim of child abuse, and oh, so um, growing up with an unaccepting family and being queer and all these things. So he pulled all of that in, the, in a coded way in the mm-hmm. original child. But of course, the the original kid who's also in this series as an adult um, was not gay as a character. But he said it was very much a representation of me being a gay kid, knowing I was gay and dealing mm-hmm. with all these things. Mm-hmm. And so he really wanted to do this series to kind of bring the, the, the themes that were in the original series completely out. So, yes, there's a gay romance at the center of it all and a bullying bitch that oh. joins the party who's an Yes. And there are so many elements of Twin Peaks in this. Yes. We have. Because one of the main writers that Don Mancini brought on board is Harley Payton, who mm-hmm. wrote about 19 episodes of the original series of the run of Twin Peaks. So, so, yeah. If you guys, if Twin Peaks is your jam, which it probably is, you guys are smart, artistic so crew. highly, highly, highly recommend. I'm, I'm having the best time watching it. And then Jennifer Tilly comes in and yes. she plays this hybrid of her character in the Chucky movies and herself. It's like this whole other thing. It's just so clever. Hilarious. It's on Peacock, Brilliant. guys. Brilliant. Take a sip. <laughs> a movie that I do not recommend. 
strongly. Like, this is a boycott. Yes. Do not I went see to this see, movie. So Jennifer has not seen this. I saw the trailer and, and I knew never damn well not to waste my time. <sighs> I went to see The Exorcist Believer by David Gordon Green, who directed the new Halloween sequels. And it is the first time in over 30 years where I almost walked out of a movie. I was mm. so upset. Mm. And Jennifer knows that I can be very forgiving and find the good a in every movie. A little too forgiving. A little too forgiving. Like, I like everything. And I get accused. And I think you love everything. Because it's film. And it's horror. And you love horror. And it's true. I went into this. So you see this trailer. Like, oh, this looks too generic. It looks like every other procession movie. Mm-hmm. It had no soul. Hold no my No pun beer. intended. <laughs> you, it's, and that would, that would have been... Okay, it's just another, you know, it's fucking The Nun or any of these, The Pope's Exorcist. Yeah. Well, this fucking movie makes The Pope's Exorcist seem like an Academy Award winning film. Hmm. Because what's so crazy about it is like the first half seems okay. It's well crafted. You have this setup with Leslie Odom Jr. who's a great actor. His wife has died in an earthquake, and he's raising this daughter. That he had to, he had to, the storyline is very well set up, and I don't want to go too much into the weeds of it. And then the movie just turns, and it literally feels like David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and the whole team decided, fuck this, and decided to make the worst fucking movie ever. I don't know how this happened. It could be studio interference. Remember we talked about that earlier? Yeah, that's something. What... It's like the first half is one movie. And then they just said, fuck it. They, something it gets take it gets possessed by the worst, most disrespectful atrocity from hell that you could ever possibly and, and imagine. You puked, they puked all over the legacy. Yes, and especially the, what's so sad about it because they brought back the fabulous, the iconic, the legend that is Ellen Burstyn. Guys, at was, home, G practically has tears in his eyes talking about this. <laughs> Ellen Burstyn, who is ninety years old who has given us Oscar-winning performances in Martin Scorsese movies, and he was Oscar-nominated for the original Exorcist, is brought back to this movie, and that's actually when the movie turns to hell. And it is what they do with her character, the lines that they make her play is so poorly, horribly written. It's like... What did really, she say? Really, like, what's, really, what's an really, example really of a line? Sad. Um, it's like... <sighs> So they give her this weird backstory. It was like, oh, yeah, like I studied all these different religions and, you know, and then Reagan and I don't talk anymore. Like they get, it's just very like it was written in like five seconds and without any thought. So they create this backstory where um, she wrote a book about her experience with the exorcism, but then she wasn't really at the exorcism. So here's the, okay, here's an iconic, terrible line from this movie. So she's explaining to Leslie Adam Jr. who goes, finds her to help me with these ex, my daughter who's possessed and her friend. Um, And she's like, well, you know what? Um, I wrote a book. So the whole thing is that she wrote a book about her experience. It's a, a mother's explanation, I think is the name of the book, which is terrible. And she's like, after I wrote the book, she says Reagan got really pissed at her and never talked to her ever again, and she hasn't talked to her in 50 years. And it's like, what? Really? Do we really believe that? She wrote a book, and then Reagan's pissed off at her and never talks to her mother? Like, what the fuck? That's some Prince and Harry then, shit. And then she says, but I need to clarify that I was not present at the exorcism. You know, in the original movie, Ellen Burstyn's character never goes into the room when, mm. William, when Max von Sydow... And um, little pre- little boxer priests yeah. go in for the battle. Ding. She's not involved in the, f- in the final battle. She's like, I was never present in the, in, in the exorcist. And she's like, 
She says a line. I wrote this book and I'm like the expert on exorcism, but I wasn't present at my daughter's exorcism, you know, because of the patriarchy. And it's like, oh, what? You want to? That's so. That's only the beginning for how this movie disrespects the presence of Ellen Burstyn. I know she got paid a ton of money and started like this fund for actors because she really never wanted to do an Exorcist sequel ever. I know this sounds like elder abuse at this point. It's really oh oh. Basically, she's in the movie for like five minutes after that. So she's barely in the movie with these awful mm. lines. She shows up at the house where the girls are possessed, and like. Supposedly, she's an expert, and she's, like, trying to, like, do the exorcism herself. Even though she was adjacent in the OG situation, she's just, she's a 70s actress. She's repeating lines from the original movie, even though she's not a priest or anything. And she's like, oh, the the power of Christ compels you. She's like, I heard this through the door. It worked. And then the possessed girl takes a crucifix and gouges her eyes out, and she goes blind, and she exits the movie. Uh, uh, That's what Ellen Burstyn came to do after 50 fucking years. That's it terrible. is so disrespectful. So then after that, it becomes the Avengers and the, all these different priests from different cultures get together. <laughs> Avenger priests. Led by Anne Dowd, who was an ex-nun. And they're oh, going to do the Lord. exorcism of these double girl, dual exorcism of these girls. And I just can't. It's just really I, I'm gonna say, awful writing. You were so angry when you left the theater. You wrote this scathing text to me of just like, David Gordon Green, how could you? And and. You know, I'm just going to take a moment, just because of how I judged so harshly the the boys and Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I wonder if this was a battle with the studio because the first two Halloweens were phenomenal; they were great. And then that third one that I auditioned for, remember? And, mm-hmm. and I turned in a really good audition. And now that sounds so arrogant. Um, but that third one that I auditioned for and didn't get the part, you and I were looking at the script. And we're like, oh, my God, this is the monologue pretty much from Jaws. The guy knows what he's doing. So there were elements of, like, this could be a good movie. And then I saw the movie, and I thought it was a joke. And you're like, oh, I, I like it in the Halloween 3 of it all. It's kind of cheesy and campy. You were giving him some leadway. I was. I was. No yeah. more. <laughs> it's over. The graciousness is over. So to sum up, Chucky is on Peacock. Yes. It's amazing. Um, talk to recommend. me. Go see that in a theater, but also at home. It'll scare the shit out of you. Barbarian is on HBO Max currently. And, and Hulu. Oh, and Hulu. Yes. That's right. Remember, I watched it on Hulu yeah. with the commercial breaks <laughs> oh, just, <laughs> to write my notes. Yeah, but just splurge. So if you get any nuggets of wisdom from barbarian i would say stop scrolling zillow Mm -hmm. and call your mother bye oh happy halloween motherfuckers halloween